both feet. Turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. This is being recorded for our podcast. Unfortunately, we haven't had the previous, I don't know how many I've done, three on the podcast. And so uh, if you're listening to this uh, over the internet, you're probably going to have to go back and get some notes for some other people. But we're going to start recording these on the way out. If you need an outline, uh, raise your hand and uh, Braden is going to go around and give you one. Anybody need one? All right. They're all good. Okay. So if anybody comes in, but make sure that they get it. All right. <clears throat> all right, Jude. So before we go any farther, somebody tell me something that you've learned about Jude in our study so far. Anything that you can remember, anything that you can recall, maybe something God touched your heart on, or maybe it was just a matter of, hey, I learned this. I didn't know this. Um, anything? What can we remember of our studies in Jude so far? The last one we spoke about is God will judge. Who can remember something about Jude that they've learned? Anybody? Yeah. I remember the, uh, the first uh, lesson. <laughs> great statement was, uh, oops, if that's not God, turn it off, Steve. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe you should answer it or call her back, babe. Maybe go in the foyer and call her back and see maybe something happened. A playground, yeah. It's a battleground. Very good. It's a battleground. We have enemies because God has enemies. And anybody associated with God, anybody associated with his kingdom, is going to have enemies. Remember what Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And uh, I'm not of this world, and neither are you. And so anybody that is of this world is going to be an enemy of this world. Somebody else, anything you remember about the Bible study? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he always judges sin. Okay. And he doesn't have to have witnesses. He sees it all. So that means that because he sees it all, because he has all wisdom, that he is a righteous judge. So he never gets it wrong. Remember, I made that statement. He never gets it wrong. He always gets it right. So in his time... He always judges righteously. We talked about that last week. Very good. Somebody else? Anything about the book of Jude? Naomi. Yeah. And he made the statement that's needful for you. So I was going to write something that was really kind of needful for me. I wanted to write an encouraging little, but instead I want to write this this needful for you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Very good. Somebody else? Yeah. 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 More important than being in the proximity of the Lord Jesus as far as familial uh, was the fact that he was a surrendered bond slave of Christ. He was like, you know what? I just want to be known as a servant of God because I didn't believe him. I mean, think about that. Think about shedding that reputation with the with the apostles, right? Here's here's James and here's Jude uh, who lived with Christ, who saw him firsthand for 30 years of impeccable living at home. And it still wasn't enough. Not only his testimony of 30 years, not only... Of that, but the three years of miracles and people following him, his death, burial, and resurrection, it wasn't until after that that they came to Christ. Very good. Someone else? Anything you learned about Jude? Nancy? Well, 
I did not demand them. I did not uh, sell all of them or finance all of them. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Who else? Anything else? That's okay if you don't. Not a pop quiz. Except for those who came late. That's them across us. Okay. If you have your, if you have your Bibles, Jude 8, verse 11, uh, verses 8 through 11. Notice what it says. And I want you to use to see the word likewise. Okay. So now he's going to really kind of put a conjunction in there after he talks about judgment. And he's going to go through some statements that we're going to tie into the spirit of the age. The title of the message is the spirit of the age. And we're going to do this in three parts. This is part one, and it's it's called the rejection of authority. Now, we may not finish this tonight, and that's okay, because I want to give time for prayer. But I do want you to think about that title, the spirit of the age and the rejection of authority. As I say every point, I want that title to kind of drive your thought processes about what we're talking about, all right? So let's look down at verse 8. Likewise, all right? Also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not speak against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, in those things they are corrupt themselves. Notice the next statement in verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone. And then notice, here's three more illustrations. All right. By the way, the best illustrations are always Bible illustrations. So Jude's going to refer them back to the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. For they have gone, notice, in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. All right, and let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of life today, God. We thank you for health, we thank you for strength, and we thank you for grace. Lord, were it not for your grace, we would not be here tonight. And we ask that you'd please watch over us as we are here. We ask that you would rebuke Satan, Lord, and that you would keep him from us. And Lord, that you would allow the good seed of your word to find good soil in us. We pray that our hearts would be open to your word and to your spirit tonight. We ask that you would use your word in our life. Help us, Lord, as we study it to then rightly apply it. And I pray that you'd help me, God, that you would open up my heart, that you would, by your spirit, just help me to step aside. And the Lord, that you would use me as your mouthpiece and vessel. And God, as we study your word line upon line and precept upon precept, I pray that you would give us wisdom, uh, Lord, as we go from here, that we would remember whose we are, and the Lord, that take all things from your word as applicable to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude was not content, and you have to remember this, uh, Jude was not content simply to remind his readers to pay attention to what Peter had written. Um, he wanted to add his own words of warning by describing what these false teachers, or what we talked about apostates, were like and what they would do to the church. The, the Spirit of God led you to describe the characteristics of the apostates, reinforcing Peter's words, and at the same time, adding information. So if you take Jude 8 through 16, you can parallel all of Second Peter chapter 2. So you can see, okay, Peter wrote his letter, now Jude wants to come back, and he doesn't want to just say, okay, listen to what Peter wrote, but he says, I want to add some things by this Holy Spirit, 
And so not only do they par- uh, parallel, they supplement one another. So they actually reinforce what each of them are saying. So you get the idea here. Well, I think what's a cool point to make and bring out of this is that here you have God inspiring Peter to write, not knowing that he was also going to inspire Jude to write. And that means to me that God really cares about Christians. And he really wants Christians to not only to understand who the enemy is, but also to understand the importance of the doctrine of the faith and their walk in Christ. So here you have Christians that may not have a local church or may not have a lot of an assembly, and yet God still cares for them. By the way, he cares for you. And he cares wherever you are and whatever circumstance you're in. So it always encourages me to think about, okay, here's Peter going off and writing a letter and, and, and who knows who's going to get it. And here's Jude writing a parallel letter and they're just supplementing one another. By the way, that gives validity to both of them as they read the letter. So, um, wh- why is it though that it would be needfully repetitious when you think about it? Uh, what, what, what would be the point of God saying to Peter, here's what I want you to say to these believers. And now through Jude, I want you to say much of the same things. Well, it's kind of like what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write, listen, the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it's safe. Now, think about that statement. Paul writes over and over. Man, if you, t- you could take some of his letters and you can lay them side by side and almost just overlay them. They're so similar. Here, God's doing the same thing. Why? Because repetition is the key to learning. Um, parents repeat warnings and instructions to their children. And sometimes the children reply, I know you've told me you've already told me a million times, but wait a minute. Wise parents know that some things must be said again and again for the safety and welfare of their children. Why would God be any different? If ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your heavenly father give the Holy spirit to them that ask another passage says, good, good, give good things to them that ask. So whether the children want to hear it or not, we say it for their benefit, right? And the same thing is true here with the Word of God. Now, Jude describes the heart and actions of those who would turn away from the truth and God, uh, from the truth of God, and attempt to lure others away. And as we study them, we learn that the world has always then be a place or been the place or the home of people who reject authority. Now, remember, I said the out at that very outset the spirit of the age and this is part one it's called the rejection of authority the world has always been the home of those that reject authority now you think about that why whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin how did that come i don't want god's authority i want to be my own god i want to make my own decisions about morality and about what's right and wrong but not just reject authority of god but because they're rejecting the authority of god they reject all authority and that's the spirit of the age that's the age that we live in the the testiness of the younger generation to an older or even authority it doesn't really matter what dispensation you study the human spirit is the spirit of rebellion and that's key to remember and i believe that it has gotten worse and will continue to get worse as the return of jesus christ gets closer and closer now a lot of people tend to think that, well, it couldn't get any worse than Noah's day because God destroyed the world. That's not true. It couldn't get any, wor- any worse than it was when Herod killed all, the ba- killed all the babies in Jerusalem. That's not true. It can't get any worse than the first two, three hundred years, all the way maybe up even into the 12th, 13th, 14th century where Christians were dying. Just because Christians were dying then doesn't mean that it's not worse today. It just means that it's different. In other words, the heart of mankind has not changed at all. 
Man is still born a sinner. Would you agree with that? And still born in opposition to God's will and resistant to authority. I tell people all the time. I told Tasha this last week. I said, listen, your mama didn't teach you how to lie. Your daddy didn't teach you how to rebel against orders. How do we get that? It's ingrained in us. We are hardwired to say we want to do our own thing and we don't like authority. But it's only going to get worse. Consider these passages. Second Peter 3.13 But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Matthew 24, Jesus said, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So iniquity is not going to get less and less. According to Jesus' words, it's going to abound, get more and more. Second Timothy 3, 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, less than lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Now, now all of that, we, we know all these other verses that are on all these different places, but now we're writing and Judas saying, hey, time's now. But in reality, even through the inspiration of Scripture, the time is even now, and it's worse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, Timothy is writing that to a first century church, so it was relevant then, so it's even more relevant today. Um, sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap up to themselves. Their own lust, that's going to come up again tonight. Uh, heap up to themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned into fables. Now remember, that's the goal of these, these dreamers here, these apostates that Paul's talking, or the Jews talking about. He's talking about people taking the grace of God and turning it into lasciviousness. Remember that? licentiousness and so when we're talking about this rebellious spirit this rejection of authority it's that all authority comes from the throne of god just read romans chapter 13 so whether it's authority in the home authority in the church authority in the state it all comes from god fantastic book on authority by um adrian rogers on authority and it has a line on the front of it and it's basically just a small book about God ordaining authority and why he ordains authority and the, the, the nasty results when we resist the authority that God ordains and how man has been fighting against that. Now, those who exercise authority, according to the Bible, must full, first fall under authority. And that is to be accountable to God. God was very specific about that with the king of Israel. But unbelievers, false teachers, atheists, agnostics, mystics, and anyone who follow them reject divine authority and set themselves up as their own authority. Would you agree? I mean, why is it that someone, you have a friend that's an atheist. I understand you're going to take a trip with him. Why is it that an individual would want to even say, I don't believe in God? Because he doesn't want to be accountable to anybody for his actions. I am my own man. And really, by making that statement, you could just make the statement, I'm my own God. I decide what's right and wrong. I know what's going to happen to me. I know how to live my life. This is what I determine right and wrong. So think about that, that statement. Uh, they, they, they want to make themselves their own authority. And that's agnostics, atheists, all the like. Now, the incredible irony of the life of Joseph Stalin is that at one time he had been a seminary student preparing for ministry. Coming of the, the Nietzschean age, he made a decisive break from his belief in God altogether. 
This dramatic and complete reversal of conviction that resulted in his hatred for all religion is why Lenin why Lenin had earlier chosen Stalin and positioned him in authority, a choice Lenin, of course, would soon would later regret. The name Stalin means steel, was not his real name, but was given him uh, given to him by his contemporaries who fell under the steel-like determination of his will. It's awful man. And as Stalin lay dying, one his one last gesture was his clenched fist toward God. His heart is cold and heart is steel. Now think about that. What's he saying? I'm my own man. Not even death. Now, the reality of that is that Stalin was completely ignorant. As we're going to learn about this. What's the heart of this? As we continue to study the book of Jude and look farther into the heart of what we've already seen as the enemies of God, it reveals to us the heart of those who reject authority, especially God's. Now let's not put it past anybody in this room or even any believer to say no to God's authority. Would you agree? At any given time, we can say no to God's will. At any given time. Now, I don't believe in Calvinism. Calvinism removes the choice and says people are destined and predestined by God. They are. They have been created to go to heaven. These have been created to go to hell. Their decision has nothing to do with it because their decision is actually of God in them and there's no free will. Grace is irresistible. Okay? That's tragic. I would that we would be able to say, once we're saved, that we would never determine ever that God would take away our choice to sin. Wouldn't that be great? That we'd get saved and God would say, you don't have a choice now. You're living for me and you don't have a choice. And we just become robots of grace, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Never any fights. We never have any ups and downs. It would always be ups, no valleys. It would just simply be, right? Instead, God gave us a choice. And at any given time in our life, we can say no. And that's the, that's the, that's the Romans chapter 6 of saying no. Um, the Bible says, to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. I can either obey my flesh or obey God. So let's look at these in a little more in depth. And let's see how far we can get in our study tonight before we go to prayer. First of all, let's look at the the cause. Let's just look at their cause. Do we have that? Well, I think we have a slide back there. Trent, you want to jump on the slides for us? That'd be awesome. Did you make them, Naomi? Oh, I didn't you didn't make them. slides? Oh, okay, that's fine. We don't have slides. Trent, sit down. Why are you standing up? <laughs> verse 8, look what it says. And I think this is very this is very interesting to me. Look at verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy... What's the next word? What is it? Have you heard that word recently? Have you heard of that? Dreamers. What about the dreamers? What the policy is for dreamers? All that stuff. It's interesting to me how many times we hear this term on the news now, dreamers. Well, they're not exactly alike here. Here Jude tells us about these dreamers. First of all, they live in a world of unreality and delusion. The word dreamer there means that they have believed Satan's lie. Now I want you to remember how old this lie is okay they're believing in their own system of morality and their own system listen of reality in genesis 3 and verse 5 for god doth know that in the day ye eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil you'll be able to determine what's right and wrong on your own you don't need god to tell you that you won't need that now 
that's these people. They live in the world of unreality and delusion. They have listened to a lie, they believed the lie, and now they're living in that lie. Having turned away from God's truth, they feed their minds on false doctrine that inflates their egos and encourages their rebellion. So think about that. Now, when you look at the world and you think about this spirit of rejection of authority, it's apparent and you sense it. But some of us are like, I don't understand why all these people are like it because they're believing the lie. They have been lied to. Remember when when uh, Paul said it in uh, the letter to the church at Corinth about how Satan hath blinded the eyes of them, blinded the minds of them so that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel. That's the idea. This is the result. So it's not just in the 21st century. It's always been that these people live in unreality and delusion. Secondly, they're ignorant of the truth. They're ignorant of the truth. They have no idea what they're talking about when they speak. The Bible declares that they have no idea what they talk about when they speak. They're not, they don't know. Animals, by the way, live like this. They live by natural instinct. They have no ability to ascertain and they do so, and so do the apostates. When men rebel against God, they think at the level of beasts. Now watch, we're going to go over to Second Peter chapter 2. I think you have these in your notes, verses 12 and verse 22. And you're going to see the parallel. He's going to say, okay, these are human beings that are living like animals because they don't believe the truth. Second Peter 2 verse 12. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understood, that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her own wallowing in the mire. What's he likening these people to? Animals. And what do we look at? When, we, when you look at society at its worst today, even sometimes not at its worst, that's okay. It's just animal behavior. It's instinctive behavior. What's instinct? Instinct means if I'm hungry, I eat it. If I drink, if I'm thirsty, I drink it. If I'm tired, I sleep it. If I want to have fun, I go fun it. It's whatever I do, I do it. Just do it. That was Nike's theme for years and years and years. And, and, and that's the idea. They just are acting on impulse, but they're acting on the impulse of a lie. They're ignorant of the truth. And so they're living in this unreality. If you ever listen to those who are against the truth, against the tr- rule of law, against moral foundations of our country, you shake your head in amazement. You just go, where do they get this stuff? And, and, and you kind of, you kind of step back and you go, is, it, is this real? And the answer is no, it's not real. The world that they live in is not real. Why? Because a lie is not real. It's delusion. And they're living in a false reality that's going to bring them to a very certain reality if God doesn't save them out of it. The same thing is true when you watch the actions of some of these people to deny God's word as truth and uh and uh to is to live in unreality and delusion this is the cause of those rejecting god's authority so i know that this is what god says this is what god says and this is reality we live we move we have our being in christ okay this is the reality it's truth anybody living outside of this reality is not living in reality they're living in a lie that's delusion They've decided to reject God's authority because they've rejected his word. And so what do they turn into? They turn into animals. They're doing anything that they want to do. Now, that's the enemies that Paul has warned them of. Remember, 
And, and you can go back and study the epistles from Paul. It's the same thing. Their, their gods are their own bellies, their own desires. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, okay? That's their cause. Secondly, let's look at their course. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, notice this, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Notice the word defile the flesh. As a result of their rebellion, letter A, they live to satisfy the flesh. Now, we've kind of already talked about that. When a person despises God's authority, he feels free to dis- disobey God's laws. And then if you decide that God's word is irrelevant, what do you end up doing? You live as you please. What he forgets is that those laws have penalties. Built into the commandments of God are both the blessings and the consequences of that law. If you disobey, this is what's going to happen. I have set before you this day a blessing and a curse. All right. What he forgets is that the laws have penalties attached to them so that he cannot disobey and escape the consequences. You can disobey God's word. Hear me clearly. But you cannot disobey the consequences of God's word. You cannot. Romans one thirty two. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There comes a point in Romans chapter 1 where people are turned over to God, to their own decisions, their own lusts, and, and their own desires, that not only do they go headlong into them, but they're doing them pleasurably and willfully. They, they, they say, I don't care what the consequences are. Now think about that just for a minute. How many of you know someone that has some kind of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, they have some kind of problem, and like a dog to his vomit, they just keep going back, and they keep going back. Many of the drug addicts or alcoholics that you find will say, I wish I could never take another drink ever again. Or some of them would say, I wish I never took the first one. I wish I'd have never taken the first hit or whatever. And, and, and they know it's wrong, but they're going to continue to do it anyway. And they become a slave. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God, listen, is according to truth against them which commit such things. So right after in Romans chapter 1, Paul lists this downward spiral of man. In Romans chapter 2, he begins and says, wait a minute. First of all, in the first verse, he goes, don't judge. Whatever you do, don't judge. Whosoever, whoever you think you are, don't judge because you're going to be judged. Because we're all sinners and we have all the propensity. That's the idea. But here he levels the boom. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. The rebellion does not free them for the consequences. We're sure, the Bible says of the judgment of God according to his truth against such. So they live to satisfy the flesh, and so they they free themselves from any accountability to God, but they can't be free from the consequences. Letter B, they have no problems speaking as if there are no consequences. Look at verse 8 again. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now look at uh, 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 dignities. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. Now, the phrase speak evil there in verses 8 and 10 simply means to blaspheme. Okay? Now, blasphemy involves much more than taking God's name in vain. All right? Though that, that's at the heart of it for sure. A person blasphemes God, listen carefully, when he takes his word lightly and is even going, goes to the extent of jesting about it, or when he deliberately defies God to judge him. All right, That's to speak blasphemy against God. It's speaking against is what it means. Now, think about this. 
these individuals have no problem speaking against God or against dignities, that's authorities. Why? Because they have none. Do you understand? The whole spirit of rejecting authority has no problem speaking against any authority because they have none. Um, There's all kinds of illustrations in the last year you can go through socially. People go up and do things and say things because there's no fear of consequences, right? There's no authority. Where there's no authority, there's chaos. But watch, there's always consequences to chaos, all right? Anywhere you look in Scripture where people just decided to throw off the chastity of God's Word, there was always consequences. Now, here's the idea. And and again, to prove that this has always been and will always be, if God tarries for another 2,000 years, we're going to go to Scripture. Psalm 12 and verse 4. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Okay? Now, this is David writing as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Again, in Psalm 73 and verse 9. They set their mouth against the heavens, that's speaking of God, and their tongue walketh through the earth, as if nothing's wrong. As if I can say whatever. Um, Psalm 73 and verse 11. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Now watch. There's an individual in the Old Testament that was cut from this cloth. And his name was Pharaoh. The Bible says in Exodus 5, 2, after Moses comes in and he says, listen, you better let my people go. God's, God is telling you, let my people go. The Lord God of Israel, Pharaoh said in verse, in chapter 5, verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So you see this spirit has always been. Unfortunately, there are far too many people who speak as if God doesn't see or hear anything today at all as well as if god can't hear us as if god doesn't care about our decisions and yet he does all right so we see their cause we see their course we see that their course goes from doing whatever they want to do to saying whatever they want to do and thirdly i want to look at their consequences maybe we will finish tonight that's good the consequences look at verse 10 The Bible says at the very last part of the verse, in those things, notice the phrase, they corrupt themselves. All right? They defile themselves in verse 8, and then they destroy themselves in verse 10. Yet they have the idea that they're actually promoting themselves. Now, if that's not living in an alternate reality, I don't know what is. So they defile themselves, whatever they want to do. And they're corrupting themselves, they're destroying themselves while they're doing it, but they actually think that they're promoting themselves. They actually think, hey, I'm getting away with this. Hey, this feels pretty good. Hey, the end can only be better. Hey, I can get some more money. Hey, I can get some more possessions. Hey, I can get some more prestige. Hey, I can get some more popularity. I can go through all of these. And the whole idea, what's happening? Their lives are being destroyed. Why? Because they're living in an unreality. They're living in delusion. They defile themselves, and yet the Bible says that they think that they're promoting themselves. Ecclesiastes, I love this verse, chapter 8 and verse nine, uh, 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Man, you talk about wisdom of God. 
given to a man that's observed everything vain in his life and saying, man, I'm going to pursue this. And because God hasn't judged me yet, why shouldn't I just keep going farther? Right? How many Christians have not repented yet because God has not yet judged them? Remember, we talked about that in 1 Corinthians 11 of the church at Corinth. He said, because you've taken the Lord's table unworthily and you've made this supper what it was never intended to be, some of you are sick and weak and some of you are dead. Okay? I always, sometimes, not always, sometimes I've used that verse to say, how much longer am I willing to go on before God has to do something to stop me? Wouldn't it be better just to stop in my own tracks? To judge my own sin, to confess my own sin. And, and, and that's the idea. The sons, because God hasn't judged me yet, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Romans one twenty seven. Likewise also the man leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Watch and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God always gets the last word. Okay? The consequences are always sure. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Okay? Be sure that your sin will find you out. It may not be at this moment. It may not be in a month or a year. But it will come out. Some way in, for fa- some, way in some form or fashion... God always judges sin. We talked about that last week. That's the consequences. The way of rebellion, you could honestly conclude, is the way of ruin. Now, now think about that. The next time you decide, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, and, and, and God will be merciful to me, and God will give me grace, and, and, you know, if the world doesn't fall apart, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, well, when I start to think that way, I'm not living in reality. Because I'm starting to live like a beast. I'm just living by instinct. I'm living by what I think instead of living by the truth. By the way, listen to how awesome God is. Is God not ultimately wise? Jesus said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. free. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing what you find principally and, and practically. Practically all through, the, you know, from, from Romans all through the end of the, of the Bible. Just, just littered, not just with doctrine, but how to apply it. And then Jesus, in three and a half short years, gives these little nuggets like that and says, I'm going to support everything that you're going to read in the New Testament. I'm going to support everything you read in the New Testament. I'm going to give it in one verse, and it's going to bring validity and power to this, right? And so, when you think about all this, then you have to think of the last statement in verse 11 that it begins with, woe unto them. What's that? That's their condemnation, number four. Their condemnation. Woe unto them who have gone in the way. That's a tremendous statement. Verse 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsay of Korah. Now, if you're not a Bible, uh, if you haven't read your Bible or if you're a new Christian and you don't know these stories, I'm going to briefly give you not only where they are, but kind of the synopsis of the principle about the story and how Jude reaches back again and gets Old Testament illustrations to take forward into the New Testament and say, okay, now, Look, this is going to happen to them just like it happened to these people in the past. And we've kind of already seen this uh, in his writing already. Woe. The word wrote, woe, you might want to write this somewhere, uh, is the Greek word anathema. The word anathema means, does anybody know? Is it on there? Oh, you have it. Accursed. And Jude uses three examples from the Old Testament to illustrate the enormity of their sins. Three men who rebelled against God's authority 
and who suffered for it. Okay? The first is found in Genesis chapter 3. This is the way of Cain. What was Cain's rebellion? He rebelled against God's way of salvation. Okay? Now look, we all know there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All right? That's what we believe. They don't believe that. Where did that originate? Cain. And the idea that I can, I can go around God's door, the Lord Jesus Christ, like a thief and climb up another way to steal uh, salvation and to break in and kill and break down all that God's done. Instead, Cain decides to go away. By clothing Adam and Eve, the skins of the slain ant with, with skins of slain animals, God made it very clear that the only way of forgiveness was through the shedding of blood. Remember that. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Okay? So when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? And he was like, oh, I was naked. I was hiding. And he said, well, who told you you were naked? And then the blame game started. Well, if I got to be honest, it was the woman that you gave me. She did give me the fruit and I did eat. God says, okay, you won't answer me, so I'll go to Eve. What's wrong, Eve? How come you did this? Well, I've got to be honest. It was Satan and the the, uh, serpent that beguiled me. And so he goes and he starts judging there. And you think there for a minute, if you stop there, you're like, oh. Well, God's got no beef with Adam and Eve. It's a serpent's fault, right? That's what you think. If you read that for the very first time, you go, oh, yes, Satan's going to get his. And then he starts there, but then he goes back and he goes, okay, Satan, I'm going to deal with you. And by the way, I'm going to give you a death blow and it's going to be to my victory and glory. And he prophesies of the Messiah. Then he goes back and says, okay, now I got to deal with you, Eve, because you allowed yourself to believe a lie. And there's consequences to that. And so then he goes back and Adam, well, Adam and Eve have kids and the oldest is named, no, Steve, pretty soon you're going to have Moses on the ark if you're not careful. All right. So he has Cain. The second one is, okay. Now the way of faith is not the way of good works. Okay. So God said, look, if you're going to have salvation, it's going to be through the shedding of blood. I need a sacrifice. So the Bible says that Cain and Abel went and were going to give sacrifice. Abel brings an acceptable sacrifice of an animal and he sheds the blood. God accepts that. Well, Cain decides to bring vegetables. And he goes, you know what? I think that I'll worship God on my own. I think I'll get to God on my own. I'll give a sacrifice that I deem necessary to atone from my own sin. And God says, Cain, what in the world are you doing? By the way, if you look at the exchange, you get the idea that Cain knows what he's doing. And you get the idea that Cain knew what he was supposed to do. Okay? Sin lies at the door. God gave him a shot. Look, if you don't do this right, you and I both know it's not going to turn out good for you and everybody else around us. Okay? Cain decides to ignore the voice of God. How tragic is that? He goes out and he kills Abel because he's outraged that God accepted Abel and not him. And then he has a mark set on him. And then he, he's, this is too much for me and I can't handle it. But what's he do? He goes out and he builds a city. You know what he was trying to do? He was still trying to make a name for himself in spite of God. He was trying to build something over the top of the reputation that he had earned through his mark. And God says, look, it doesn't work that way. For by grace are you saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Cain, not of works, lest any man should boast. It wasn't going to work for you when you decided to get saved a different way then. 
and it's not going to work for you now. You have a mark. You'll be separated from me forever. You have to deal with the consequences of living in delusion. Okay? Cain rejected the divinely authorized way to come to the altar with fruit of his own labor. God rejected Cain's offering because God rejected Cain. His heart was not right before God. Now, the way of Cain then today is the way of religion without faith. Righteousness based on character and good works, not the character and work of Christ. The way of Cain is the way of pride. A man establishing his own righteousness and rejecting the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. You could look these verses up. Romans 10, 1 through 4, Philippians 3, 3 through 12. All of it have to do with the fact that Cain decided to reject God's way and rebel against God's way of salvation. Now that's apparent even today. Probably some of you know somebody that you've either witnessed to or you know that someone has witnessed to them and they have said, no, I'm okay. Well, what's your, what's your church background? And they tell you of this idolatrous background or this false teaching and you try to show them the way and they go, I'm okay, but thank you for asking or thank you for showing. What are they doing? They're just decide, they've just decided that, well, I, I don't need God's way and I'm refusing and rejecting the authority of God's way. Now, that's the way of Cain, all right? So what happened to Cain? Well, he died separated from God. He died in his sin. Right, that's the way of Cain. Secondly is the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam. The Bible says in Second Peter 2 and verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now I don't have time to go into this whole story but it is one of the most funny stories in all of the Bible, all right? And if God can use a donkey, he can use you and me, all right? That, that's just kind of the funny end of it. Um, but the way of Balaam, if you go back and read the stories, the way of Balaam is merchandising the ministry for the purpose of making money or merchandising your gifts uh, that you should be serving God with for filthy lucre, like the apostles talked about it, and making money. It's using the spiritual to gain the material. And Paul warns against that at the church of Thessalonica and even First Timothy. The false teachers were greedy for material gain. And Balaam, who was a prophet of God, decided to really, forgive me, but prostitute himself out to a pagan king and say, well, if you'll pay me, I'll curse God's people. Now think about that. I mean, think about that. What was it? That was the love of money. And I'll take this connection that I have with God and I'll merchandise it out for my gain. Though it's going to, you know, potentially what I'm deciding is that I want to see Israel wiped out, my people, but I'll do that because I'll be okay. All right? And fortunately, God decided that he wasn't going to let him get away with it and he didn't let him get away with it, um, but that he would do anything for money. Now think about this just for a minute. What will you do for money? Because people today in Christianity will set aside the spiritual for the gain of the material. That's the way of Balaam. It's saying, I would rather go to work and get overtime and do this rather than worship God and serve God and be in the fellowship with God's people. Do you see that? There's no difference. What's God gifted us as the body of Christ? To serve Christ. Okay? 
when we decide that we have the ability to serve Christ or to make money with our abilities, what have we gone? We've decided to forsake the spiritual for the material. That's the way of Balaam. This is the heart of these individuals. The false teachers were greedy for material gain, and they would do anything for it. The error of Balaam is thinking that they can get away with that kind of a rebellion. That's even worse. The thought that he could do it. The thought. Just think about think about the arrogance of Balaam. That I could, knowing that God's hand is on Israel, that I could circumvent God on Israel and call down a curse on the very people that God said, I'm going to deliver my people to the promised land. That, that's, that's thinking pretty highly of yourself. To think that I can manipulate God and, by the way, get paid for it. Right? That's the way of Balaam. The last is the way of Korah. This is in number 16. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the reference for Balaam. I, I, I didn't write it down. In number 16, Korah and his followers resented the leadership of Moses. They decided, you know what? God's, God, God can speak to anybody. He doesn't have to speak through Moses. And, and, and now all of a sudden, because of, uh, because of a uh, lie that, to Korah, that, well, you know, God could use you too. You just need to stand up. Who does Moses think he is? He's just a man like you, Korah. You're a Levite. You could do this. You have no problems. God could speak to you. He could prophesy through anybody. Korah resents the leadership of Moses and dares God to do anything about their rebellion. Basically goes and says, look, you're not the only one. God goes through this whole story. No, I'm going to show you who my prophet is. And shows Korah, okay, because you've done this, I want everybody to get away from Korah. <laughs> Tells everybody. Now look, you're talking about two and a half to three million people all in by tribes. And when you're around the tabernacle, you, you're, you're not just, you're not like spread out. You're in there. All right. Okay, everybody away from Korah. Everybody out of the pool. Why? I'm fixing to judge them. Why? Because they had the audacity to stand up to my man. They didn't have any problem speaking evil of my authority. Well, no, God, it wasn't your authority. It was Moses. No, it's my authority. Moses has done nothing, as the Bible describes in the meek of all the earth, has done nothing but said, thus saith the Lord. He's done nothing but give you my word. He's only gone my direction. And because you have decided that it was not that big of a deal to spread rumor and to gossip, about my man, you're going to die. Everybody out of the pool, unless you want to die with Korah. And so the Bible says, what happens? Everybody gets away from Korah, except those that were in it. And they all, the Bible says, the earth opened up and swallowed Korah, his wife, his children. They all went down and the earth closed on them. See, is that real? Do you believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible, you can't pick and choose what parts to believe and what parts not to believe. It's either all truth or none of it's truth. Somebody say amen. amen. That's the reality of the Bible. Now, I can choose then, as Jude goes, okay, how am I going to get, Lord, how am I going to illustrate this to these people that you don't like rebellion? By the way, he could have used a lot of other illustrations, couldn't he have? Yeah. Tons of illustrations. But he didn't. How am I going to get through to these people? Oh, I remember. I'm going to go back and use the original rebellion. I'm going to use Cain and Abel. And I'm going to use this way of salvation. Oh yeah, I remember Balaam. And now I'm going to go to Korah. And I'm going to take three Old Testament illustrations. And I'm going to show people, listen, 
You can't subvert the consequences of rebelling against God. And he takes it very seriously. Even the speaking part of it. As Korah. See, Korah didn't go. It wasn't, Arturo, it wasn't like Korah went up and zip-tied Moses and drug him out the back and whooped him. He didn't do that. He didn't do anything physical to Moses. He really didn't even do anything necessarily physical to anybody in Israel. But he shot his mouth off, didn't he? He did a lot of talking just like these. Have no problem speaking evil of dignities. This is a warning to all of us. And I, I want to say this very carefully. Because it's easy to speak against spiritual or governmental leaders in a careless way. And I have your reference there in the Bible. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. That word is authority. To obey magistrates. To be ready to every good work. Verse 2. To speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Isn't it interesting? It, the Bible declares that God's going to judge us by every idle word. It, you, know, you know, the Bible talks about the books were open. We always talk about the, that's the book of our life, right? It's the book of our actions. Well, there's a chapter in there of every word that you've ever spoken. And when that stenographer that's in heaven that's recording your words reveals that tape and he lays it all out before you the throne at the throne of righteousness it's you i said it you said it and god doesn't need any other witnesses so i i think it's very clear that i i have to be very careful about what I say. And by the way, you're looking at a guy that's said an awful lot that I shouldn't have said. In every vein. Alright? Um, to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. What's meekness? It's power under control. I could say this. This is what I'm thinking. I could do this. This is what I could be doing. But meekness says, no, 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 no. no, no. Whoa. It brings it under control. It's interesting to note that the verbs that Jude used in verse 11, where the Bible says, notice in the Bible it says, these apostates gone in the way literally means to travel on the same road. Um, the way of Cain ran greedily after that phrase means gave themselves over. I'm just willingly giving myself over to the error of Balaam because I want money and what money can do for me. And what my, every, there's a lot of people in the 21st century, all kinds of people, Christians, non-Christians that are making decisions about today in the future because of money alone instead of God alone and that's the key you see if you're receiving this letter from Jude you're reading this and if this is everything that's happened to everybody that's rebelled against God because they decided that they could be saved another way or that they have decided that money's more important or they have no problem speaking anything to anybody because their opinion matters that's a pretty good blow to your own ego. So you're thinking, wow, who, who am I? Am I the exception to the rule? Was God going to overlook me if he didn't overlook any of this? The error of Balaam. And then the Bible says perished in the contradiction or the strife or the rebellion of Korah. That's the tragedy of rejecting authority. Now, here's the important thing. 
Paul, remember, Judas said, look, earnestly contend for the faith. You've got to be faithful. You've got to know the truth. You've got to stand for the truth. You've got to speak for the truth. You've got to let the truth work in you and through you. So how do we stay faithful to the truth living in such a world of error in all of this? By choosing to live in the reality of God's truth every single day, one day only. And then choosing to be servants of God because of his unspeakable gift. It's choices. It's all about choices. Turn to Romans 6 and we're done. We have time to pray. Romans 6, verse 20. Romans 6, verse 20. I I love paragraphs in the Bible that kind of give a summary. For when you were the servants of sin... You were free from righteousness. Now, I don't know if that needs explanation to you, but it seems pretty simple. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of notice, those things is what? Death. So what, what, the, the, end, the sum total of everything outside of Christ in my life is death. Okay? But now, so you were, but now being made free from sin... And become servants to God. That means that you've chosen, because he's already qualified that about 12 verses earlier. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In light of the gift of salvation, he lists all of this. All right. Now, the book of Jude... Is the smallest, but it's a pretty weighty book. And learning about all of these things, we have to step back and say, okay, am I guilty of any of this? Have I decided to listen to more of a lie or my own reality instead of God's reality? Or am I allowing myself to be a servant of God because I'm saved? Never get over the fact that it's the gift of God is everlasting or eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is your, you are now a ward of his court. He is the king and we are his servants. And being that, we can then choose and say, okay, now I see, now I understand. Why are are people acting like they're wacko and like they're crazy because they're believing a lie? Now, what's my position? To contend for the faith. That means that I'm going to strive when I have an opportunity to strive. I don't have to be contentious, but I do need to contend. I do need to be willing to say this is the truth according to God. If you believe it, wonderful. It leads to everlasting life. But if you don't, that doesn't change the consequences of it. I've told many people, people have said to me, well, I don't believe the Bible. And I said, well, here's here's the truth. And I, I, I would normally end the appointment at this time. Here's the truth, and then I'll be done. I say... Whether I believe the Bible or not doesn't change it. Whether you believe the Bible or not doesn't change it. It doesn't change that there is a God, that there is a truth, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. It it doesn't change it. Whether I believe it or not is regardless of what really is going to happen. Okay, And that's the idea. The idea is, man, we've got everything to live for. We've got every reason to live. These people don't. So it doesn't make sense. It's like oil and water. And it should be like that, right? By the way, Balaam's, another lesson from Balaam is that you you don't really, you shouldn't, you got to be careful about sacrificing that that principle of separation and compromising for what are you willing to compromise? 
Okay, the Bible says you're supposed to be holy, a peculiar people. Well, I can go and associate myself with so-and-so because for what? What's to get gain of? What are you going to gain from that? Having these precious promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's where Balaam lost it, right? Good. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thanks for the truth. Thanks for loving us. Pray that you bless these words in our heart. Help us, Lord, to understand, uh, Lord, the importance of there, there are people in Jude's day, people in this day that need to understand that this world is falling apart because they're all believing a lie. And they have no problems believing a lie. Help us, Lord, to share the truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.